Well, right now, we're, I think that we're looking at a, uh, a really bizarre situation, a situation that we haven't seen or, or anybody really has ever seen ever in their, not only our, our lifetimes, but probably history. You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. We are indeed living in strange times. Back in school, I was taught you buy a bond and get compensation called interest. Today, 13 nations, real nations, like Japan, Switzerland, Germany, have adopted negative interest rates. In the U.S., the Fed is eyeing slower economic growth, yet at the same time seems hell-bent on raising interest rates. Meanwhile, even as stock market indices hit all-time highs, it seems more and more Americans can't earn enough to survive. And come November, a remarkable percentage seem content to simply burn down the house. What is going on? My guest today will be the first to admit he doesn't have definitive answers. But what is certain is that macroeconomic uncertainty is a topic increasingly on the agenda in conversations between investor relations professionals and investors. According to IR Magazine's latest U.S.-focused investor perception study, more than 80% of buy- and sell-side respondents want companies to offer their views on how macro issues might affect their business. You can find out how some of the world's top IROs are developing strategies to incorporate macro data into their financial presentations in the summer edition of IR Magazine. With all this in mind, I asked Bloomberg economist Rich Yamarone to weigh in with his view on current macro trends and some of the data he thinks it would be a good idea for IROs to look at each day as they monitor events. He's not ready to throw in the R word yet. Still, he says, There are some signs, but uh, there's nothing definitive that says, wow, this is, uh, this is bad. So you got to read, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to make sure that you're prepared, that you're watching these things, you know, because it could happen. We're going to get a recession when is is the big story. Um, you know, the business cycle is not dead. We, we will have a downturn. I just don't, I, I, doesn't look like any time soon, but that doesn't mean that it, that it can't turn on the dimes. That's why you- we'll have more on that later. But first, a quick look at some of the stories we've been following. A new study finds activist investors are generally a long-term plus for the firms they target. Researchers at Texas A&M University examined about 5,000 interventions in the last 21 years. They report that the activist initiatives not only led to a short-term boost in stock price, but, on average, superior stock performance and strengthened company fundamentals over the long term. The study's authors say their findings are, quote, inconsistent with activism-inducing short-termism at target firms. Citibank overtook Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and J.P. Morgan Chase as the most used broker for corporate access in Asia in 2015. According to IR Magazine's latest Global Roadshow report, Citi was hired by more than 38% of Asian companies to handle their roadshows, more than any other firm. On a global basis, the bank was used by about 26% of companies. This puts it in fifth position overall. The report notes that the broker's total percentage figures are lower than they were in the previous year's survey, and the gaps between the top five brokers have narrowed. This may indicate that companies are using a larger number of brokers, or that IROs are finding ways of bypassing brokers for their investor outreach. For clues to the answer to that question, 
IR Magazine also took a look at direct targeting. We asked companies around the world whether they are spending more time dealing directly with the buy side or if the sell side is retaining its traditional role as intermediary. Findings show almost half of 665 IROs polled say they've increased direct targeting of investors over the past three years. The same numbers say direct targeting levels remain the same, while just 2% report a decrease. You can find the full report into direct targeting trends in the fall issue of IR Magazine. Rich Yamarone brings more than two decades of experience on monetary and fiscal policy and general macroeconomic conditions. He is the author of the book, The Trader's Guide to Key Economic Indicators. I began our conversation by asking him about the current macroeconomic environment. Well, right now, we're, I think that we're looking at a, uh, a really bizarre situation, a situation that you know, we haven't seen or anybody really has ever seen ever in their, not only our, our lifetimes, but probably history. We're seeing um, negative interest rates, negative yields. We're seeing central banks all around the world drop interest rates, borrowing costs to the lowest level they've ever been in uh, pretty much recorded history. And the, other, and the other problem is the economies of these associated uh, nations uh, and, and regions are, are stagnant, where we have lackluster job creation, if we have it at all. Uh, and if we have any job creation uh, here specifically in the in, in the U.S., um, it's really not. Uh, they're, they're really they tend to be lo- lower paid, lo- lower wage jobs, which is not what the U.S. and or the Canadian economy is. These economies are tr- predominantly services dominant economies. Eighty two percent of all the people in this in, in, in the U.S. are working in the services sector. So when you start talking about the state of economic affairs, and then you tend to be looking at manufacturing statistics that we had looked at, uh, looked at um, several decades ago, when everybody was in manufacturing, we had to produce uh, goods. Um, you know, you really have to change your perspective and change what you're looking at to gauge where the, where the economy is going. And again, we we have the, this bizarre situation where. Yields and interest rates are falling down. No one seems to be borrowing. That is, capital spending is in recession right now, that's for sure. No one wants to to, um, to build any plants and factories. In fact, if we've done that, you've done that five, ten years ago. No need to replace that. And the other thing is that the economies are so, so, so weak or so fragile um, that you can't really justify to go out and say, I'm going to go build a new store. Uh, well, I'm going to build a new plant or a factory. You just don't need them right now. You don't have that many people coming through the stores. And in fact, that's another situation that has changed within the last 10 years, and that is storing. You don't even need storage anymore, uh, uh, you know, uh, bricks and mortar. Um, you know, that's that's something of the past. So the whole perspective is we're in a bizarre situation where bizarre meaning we have We've never seen the situation in the financial markets that we have seen. In the economies, we've seen this prolonged, sluggish economic activity and demand, as well as job creation. And, and, and the job creation that we are getting are not really high-powered, high-paid, family-supportable jobs. So the economic indicator of jobs is kind of meaningless now. 
because no one is being paid enough to actually go out and buy stuff. That's the story. The story is, you know, there's nothing more important as an economic indicator. Number one economic indicator for always is employment, right? In this country, you're identified by what you do, right? You go into a bar. Hi, how are you? That's the first question. The second question is, what do you do? You know, what's your name? What do you do? You know, and you're, you're identified by what you do. Um, and that's how we, that's how we've gotten so, so many people named Carpenter, Miller, Miller uh, Smith, mm. you know, because this is, they, they were identified, by, they were named after their, their, their um, occupations. So it is the most important economic indicator, and, and you can ask anybody. It's the reason why we wake up in the morning. It's the reason why we can afford or not afford the things that we do purchase or don't purchase. And, and it is it is the most important economic indicator. And again, you're not you're just not seeing you're not seeing. We've seen some stellar job creation in in, in the states, um, and we've had some absolutely poor job creation uh, in, in Canada. And an elevated unemployment rate in in Canada, which is just stubborn and has not moved in you know within a couple of ticks since 2009. So that's so that's a problem in and of itself as as well. And until our governments, our respective governments, Canada is doing a lot considerably more than in the states to address this because they're using fiscal measures at least. Until we see the government step in and start maybe infrastructure projects for some dilapidated infrastructure like bridges, tunnels, which are, which are obvious. We're still using the same tunnels and dams that we did during the Great Depression when they were all adopted in all of these, these highway projects and, and, um, and the like. In fact, my great-grandfather was a uh, sculptor uh, and sculpted Atlas in, in Rockefeller Center. Uh, he was paid by the government during the Depression to do that. You know, Roosevelt came around and said, what do you do? I sculpt. And he said, good, here, here's some money. Go hire some more people, sculpt things. So then after the Depression, right, you have this legacy. Uh, you, you know, there's what do you have? Well, we have artwork, we have dams, we have infrastructure. And that's what we should have done we were told that was going to happen, I don't know, back in 2008. We were told we were going to have shovel-ready jobs, boots of the ground, infrastructure projects to, to repair the, uh, the electrical grid, which is, is in not, not such great shape, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by an outage anytime soon. You know, that would not be surprised because nothing has been done for that. Nothing has been done you know, to, to retain walls, uh, you know, uh, the, the levees and things down in, in, in New Orleans, ports, hardly, hardly updated with security measures and things like that that you could have adopted and, and cameras and things like that. And none of these things have airports. We have, we build airplanes now that can't land in our, in our airports. Bizarre as well. It's another bizarre situation. It seems like infrastructure and fiscal stimulus seem like the obvious solution, but it hasn't been implemented because of political and ideological reasons. Oh, that's that's correct, because we don't do anything anymore with economic responses. We do things because of political responses. This is the problem, because we've, we've, we've morphed into this political economy. You know, listen, uh, uh, economics is ex- extremely uh, uh, politically sensitive to get a lot of these measures through, and if, if you don't have if you, if you if you don't have the will right now, and I don't think that the nation really has the will. I think that there's a 
there's a nation of entitlement out there where no, no one wants to do the work, no one wants to do the, you know, everyone wants to be the chief or they want to get everything for free. And that's not, that, that can't happen anymore. I think we'll probably at the, uh, or at the point or the breaking point where it says something has to happen. Either the government has to come up and start doing something or because you, you can no longer rely on the central bank. You know, monetary policy is, can't cure everything. It all can cure is, and, you know, and, and there are questions about whether it's even effective right now. All we're, all we're doing is asking for the Federal Reserve to lower interest rates so it makes it cheaper for people to go out and borrow, and they do, and then they, they, they go out, they borrow, they spend on things or, or services, goods, and then those people who provide those services or goods, they have to hire more people, and they mm-hmm. and there's the, the, the knock-on effect, okay? But that doesn't work. I, I don't. I don't believe it. Certainly doesn't work. It's not working now. I think that we're kind of running on fumes because we don't have any engine. There's no fire in the engine. So the fiscal engine is you know, the government is not really providing anything, uh, any any quote stimulus. Okay, and then the uh, the monetary engine is, is kind of shot. I, that's that's another problem, right? Now, that's that's just the creation of moral hazard, right? We're just we're just going to dump money. We're going to give people money. They're going to go out. That that's not going to win either. Um, and I and I, I I I seriously doubt that 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 happens. But central banks have to look at that. They have to think about that because you know they're the only game in town. That's why I said that you have to have some fiscal response. Otherwise, it's just it comes a function of of the, the central bank, and then people start to say, "Wow, are they overstepping their boundaries with this? Are they doing this? Who gave them the authority?" I think it's almost laughable how you see in the states when Congress uh, gets to grill the Fed chair um, over over monetary policy when they themselves don't do a thing. You know, they the famous uh, do nothing Congress. Well, you do nothing. Well, then what, how you you know. There is some responsibility at the, at, at the Fed, and the Fed likes to do things, and, and they like to do the best job they can. I don't know that, that the same can be said for those in, in Congress. To conclude our conversation, I asked Yamarone where I should put my money, and what economic indicators, if any still mattered, to keep an eye on. Where do you put your money? And that's the big, that's the, the, the big question of everybody. Where regionally, what asset class? It, that's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous question, and it's listen. I you know I I, I meet some very large investors very frequently, and you know this is the conversation that everyone's having. The big players are all having the same questions, the same conversations. Where do we go? What do we do? This is why everyone keeps buying bonds or B bond, the uh, U.S. ten-year Treasury note, and sending yields lower because they, they're, they're inversely related to the price of bonds and, and the yields. Well, this is one of the problems, is that, and what economists are calling Tina, there is no alternative. You know, you either buy, buy, the, you buy the bond or, or, or you buy the stock, and that's, what do you see? You see yields keep going down because they're buying bonds, and you keep seeing stocks rise because, again, there is no alternative. So it's an argument for investors, I think, one of the problems that they have is something that they face for a while. Um, where are you going to put your money? You know, I know my money manager calls me and says, oh, "What are we going to do here?" You know, I'm not giving any advice. I don't give advice on on investments. 
you really don't want to have an economist give you advice on stocks and and and, and bonds or the, or the financial markets. But you you can say, you know, I can say that you know if there, if there's a storm brewing, you usually don't go out and play. Mom, mom makes sure that you come in the house if if, if there's a storm. So, you know, I think it'd be a safe alternative to look at the U.S. Treasury market. Uh, and until you see some of these clouds that are surfacing uh, to dissipate, uh, you're going you're to need to see a little clearer situation out there uh, before you, you jump into the uh, into the financial markets uh, with anything. Until then, you sit on the sideline. Perhaps you you know look at that treasury market. That's what I would be doing. That's what I am doing. You know, I'm I'm looking at the treasury market because I don't know what's going on out there. I wouldn't be playing out in the storm. But I think there is a there is a potential storm brewing right now. It's it's not for the consumer. The U.S. economy is in recession. Manufacturing is pretty much it's teetering. It's not good. Okay, so you so you have a capital spending recession. You have a lackluster, let's just call it that, or flat manufacturing base exports. Exports are contracting on a year-over-year basis for uh, a while now. And then, you know, you don't have government spending again that's really contributing all that much economic growth. So that's a problem. So the only thing you have left is the consumer. And if you start to see cracks in the, in, in, in the foundation of the consumer, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be bigger than a storm. Yamarone is quick to point out that there's no holy grail of economic indicators. But he does note that the middle class is what drives the economy. So he looks at middle class discretionary spending for signs of storm clouds. Don't go looking at a, a high-end Saks or Nordstrom's and try and depict where the economy is going. Because, you know, the, the have shop there, right? The Nordstrom's of the world. The haves have money, they're going to spend money. They don't drive the economy. And the bottom rung, the people on the lower uh, income spectrum, they don't drive the economy either. But that middle income cohort, that's what gets the economy going. So you've got to watch what that middle income cohort is doing. If they're spending, if they're going to the, not the luxury restaurants, find out what they're doing if they're going to the, you know, the, the Applebee's or you know, the A&W root beers or wherever they go. Watch, watch that spending. The U.S. economy has been flashing all sorts of mixed signals in recent months, but it may be worth considering that last week Nordstrom stock surged 8% after second quarter earnings beat analyst estimates. At the same time, J.C. Penney posted an adjusted loss of $0.05 cents a share. The loss was smaller than expected. The mid-market retailer's shares climbed almost 6% following the Friday announcement. That's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. Thanks for listening. And you might want to jot down Thursday, August 25th in your calendar. The latest in IR Magazine's webinar series goes live at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The head of corporate access at one of the world's largest asset managers will head up a panel discussing how virtual meetings can help IROs maximize their marketing outreach. You can sign up at irmagazine.com. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. 
for free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis. Register at irmagazine.com or download the app.